The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, for the 2015 Twin Cities Project. More information about Campus Outreach Minneapolis can be found at cominneapolis.org. In Campus Outreach, you guys are probably familiar with head, heart, hands, uh, that acronym. Who knows what head means? Like, how would you describe what head is and head, heart, hands? Anyone? Yeah. Knowledge yeah, knowledge and theology. Okay, how about heart? Feelings. What else? Yeah. Desires. Desires. Yeah. Compassion. Yeah. So like more of the counseling aspect to the the Christian walk, and then hands. What are hands? Practicals. Yeah, practicals, tools. So this is going to be mostly hands with a little bit of head and heart. And I would say most of TCP is mostly head and heart with a little bit of hands. So we're kind of flipping it around today. I'll pray with us before we get started, okay? God, thanks for TCP. Thank you that um, we can learn and grow together um, as we uh, think about graduating and as we graduate and enter the the workforce. And many of us are um, getting jobs or have just received jobs. And as we talk about honoring you um, through our finances, I pray that we would encourage one another that... um, this wouldn't be a, a typical financial talk to promote guilt, but it would um, ultimately give you glory. Help us be good stewards of what you have abundantly, abundantly given us. Um, so I pray to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, no hurry there. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. When neither moth nor us destroys, and where thieves do not steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jump to 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So, I think um, when we think about treasure, uh, we can think about lots of things. So, um, We're told here to not lay up for ourselves treasures on earth. So when I think about treasures on earth, I think about all of the the things, um, some of them good, some of them bad, but where we're kind of putting our hope in. So where do you find your treasure? It's usually where you spend most of your resources. So time, money, energy, relational capital with people. Um, So it's not purely just dollar bills. It's, It's all of life in a sense. So, you know, a lot of times people say, uh, if you look at your checkbook, you can really find out what you're treasuring. And there's an aspect of that that's true. You can also look at your calendar and where you're investing most of your time. That's really what you're, what you're treasuring in that season. So, you know, we're reminded here that the things on earth are just temporary. Moth and rust destroy them. So just recently, we became a two-car household. We, uh, we purchased Paul Poteet's 1997 Ford Explorer. And that thing's a beast. It's V8. Uh, 165,000 miles. But guess what? The bottom of the car is already starting to rust. That thing's almost 20 years old. And probably in the next two to four years, if I'm lucky, it's going to just rust right out. And, you know, things on this earth, they rust. They break down. They they don't last forever. And when you die, you're not going to be taking your most prized possession. For me, the thing I probably, outside of God, my wife, my kids, you know, the, the all the right answers... The thing, the tool that I probably use more than any other thing is probably my computer and my iPhone. Like, those are 
two things. But guess what? In like five or six years, the hard drive's going to die. Or a little bit after that, the battery's going to die. And it's going to die out. The things of this earth, while they're good, and we're going to talk about how to enjoy the good things in a little bit, they, they do end up um, breaking down and, and dying. Um, in verse 20, we learn, Lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So we're told here that the things, in, the things we're supposed to put our uh, resources towards are the things that aren't going to break down. They're not going to be the cars that, that rust right through. Um, you know, you guys are going to be graduating, getting jobs the first time. Seems like one of the most, you know, first purchases a recent graduate with a job makes is either upgrading their car or maybe leasing their first car or getting their new car or whatever it may be. So maybe that analogy you can relate with. But we're told to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where there are eternal rewards. And 1 Timothy 6.17 says, um, we're told that the rich in the present age should not set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. 1 Peter, 3 through, 1 Peter 1, 3-7 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So, we're told that there's going to be great blessings in heaven. We're going to stand face to face with our maker. A cool MacBook Pro Retina, it's like the latest one, just got it a couple of months ago, is going to be nowhere compared to standing and in, in being in the presence of God. Like when I read through Revelation and think about, uh, well, first of all, stepping back, I love mornings now. I love sunrises and a nice uh, cup of coffee. And in, the, in heaven, we're told that there's not even going to be need for a sun because God's glory, his radiance is going to shine. Like, when I think about that, it kind of gives me chills. And that's going to be sweet. And you think about the, the, the closest relationships you have with your, with your friends and for me and Peter, engaged couple. Like, th- these relationships aren't even going to even compare to what it's going to be like being in the presence of God. So... A lot of you guys obviously know about Campus Outreach, and we raise support. And uh, probably the the most impactful support meeting I've ever had in my life was um, just interacting with a, a, a friend's dad, asked him to come on my support team. His, his response back to me was, Nick, thank you for giving me an opportunity to store up treasures in heaven. I would love to join your support team. And man, this guy is CEO of uh, the company that runs TurboTax. Or he's like a high president, and he um, he you know is just a really generous man. And to, to hear where he's putting his hope and his treasure in, man, that was really impactful to think about. So that was the first verse. And then uh, can we read Matthew twenty-five? Uh, what did I say here? 14. Yeah, we're gonna do. This is gonna be a longer one, fourteen through thirty. All right. Um. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. 
Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reaped where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested your money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So a couple of cautions there that could sound a little bit heavy or, or downer. Or you could even read uh, verses 29 and think, oh, God's going to bless me if I'm good? You know, the whole idea of prosperity theology. Don't, don't go there. So, you know, the, the first Matthew 6 verse was talking about where we should put our hope in, where we should put our treasure in. That's in God, ultimately, and the life to come. And this verse is talking about, well, how do we be good stewards of what we've been entrusted? So God's blessed us all. Um, we're all in college, so in a lot of ways, we're the top of the top, the top 1% of the world. So regardless of what job you have, whether you're uh, working as a dishwasher for your cafeteria or you're already a full-time employee somewhere, somewhere with benefits, it doesn't really matter like where you are at. You're, you're almost a college graduate, and that shows that God's really entrusted with you guys a lot. And you know, the, the idea here is not to, uh, not to be after a greedy, like, oh, I want to be the, the servant that uh, is, gets the most amount of reward. The idea here is to be faithful with what God's entrusted to you. So the, the servant with five talents or the servant with two talents, you know, they kind of take on this mentality of, wow, I'm, I'm uh, managing this, this resource God's given me. I wonder what a, a way to do that would be. And they're like, wow, I'm going to make five more. How can I do that? And he starts praying, Lord, be generous to me. How can I invest this? What kind of business should I get involved with? You know, wh- where's a safe investment? Going to the bank, you're going to get a little bit of interest. That's not going to be a lot. The, the, this, um, the servant with one talent, you know, I'm not sure exactly what was going through his mind. I can't necessarily enter into him, but he's probably just operating out of fear. Like, man, I only have one. I don't have that much. I better hide it, you know, hide it under my pillow or whatever it may be, hide it in the ground, because I'd, I'd, I know these other people, they're, they're, they've been given a lot more, so at least I'll have one at the end of the day. So I think how we should think about that, how, how that translates to us is, no matter if you're you know, $8 an hour or you're making $40,000 a year, whatever it may be, like be asking yourself, okay, God, you've entrusted to me this much. 
How can I best steward it? And we're going to talk about some practical things that the Bible talks about of how to steward it. So one of my favorite books on money is The Treasure Principle by Randy Elkhorn. I highly recommend it. Um, the subtitle is Unlocking the Secret of Joyful Giving. And uh, it's a, literally you can read it in 45 minutes. If someone wants to borrow this, you'd be happy to, to borrow it. Um, a little, <coughs> a little story on this. Um, Randy Alcorn has a, just a, a passion for, uh, for giving, and he also has a passion for the unborn. And what happened to him was he was involved in some kind of, uh, I don't know if it was a lawsuit or something, but he kind of stood up for being pro-life, and he ended up getting put in jail. And through the, the lawsuit, they basically, uh, are you familiar with the, the term garnished his wages? So basically every dollar he makes, a portion of it has to go like pay this fund. So he pays himself $1 a year. And I think his wife you know, make, makes the money or anything. But it's, it, he's all about the, the life to come. And it's just a really cool learning more about him. So the six treasure principles, you can look at your blanks there, is God owns everything. God owns everything. And I'm his money manager. So this is like the Cliff Notes version of the book. So we're basically the managers of all the assets God has entrusted to us. An asset, and that might be a, a technical term, asset is basically any, any uh, dollar or thing that you own. So an asset could be your checking account, could be your car, could be the place you live. There's lots of things that you have that are assets. So these things that have been entrusted to us, but not given to us. So we're, we're called the steward, be the manager. We're called to be the you know, the, the servant with two talents or five talents. That's what we're, that's what we're um, called to be. My heart always goes where I put God's money. My heart always goes where I put God's money. So just think about your, your checking account or your, uh, you know, if you do online banking, maybe you don't keep a check register. But where you put your money, that's where your heart is in a lot of ways. And watch what happens when you start reallocating your money from temporal things, so things of this earth, to eternal things. Just watch. Uh, we've, me and Katie have seen how that has happened, and we're going to talk about the whole levels of giving thing in a second here. Uh, number three, heaven. Heaven, not earth, is my home. Uh, Hebrews eleven sixteen. We are citizens of a better country, a heavenly one. So we're not living for simply this, this life, but the life to come. So number four, I should not live for the dot. I should not live for the dot but for the line. And what that means is from the dot, or our present life, that's earth. That's just a very small fraction of, of our entire life. But the line, that extends, that goes forever. And that's eternity in heaven. So you can live for this life. You can you know build up your storehouses, your barns, so to speak, try to get as much as you can. Or you can send it on ahead to the, the life to come. Number five, giving is the only antidote to materialism. Giving is the only antidote to materialism. And what it is, is just a joyful surrender to a greater person and a greater agenda. And what it does is it dethrones you, the kingdom of self, and it exalts God. Number six, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, living, but to raise my standard of giving. God gives us more money than we could ever need so that we can give. Generously. So I want you to write that down. God gives us more money 
than we need. God gives us more money than we need so we can give generously. Okay, so this is the called the global rich list. And uh, this kind of calculates the wealth of all over the world. So let's just say you're an average college person, maybe make $10 an hour, you have a summer job. Let's just say in your, on your tax return, let's just say you made $10,000 for the year. That's, that's a lot of money. Let's, let's see where that, that puts you. If you made $10,000 a year, you're in the top 16% of the richest people in the world. And that makes you the large person here, richest person on earth by income. And there's, you know, 84% of people that are poorer than you. That's, that's crazy, right? So let's just say you're a college graduate and you make $40,000 a year. What does that put you? The top 0.57% of the richest people in the world. So that means 99.5% of people are poorer than you. Let's just say you make $50,000 a year. Where does that put you? The top 0.3% of the world. So that just kind of puts it into perspective like, we have been given so much, cra crazy amount, and we're just called to, to be stewards of what, what God has given us. All right. Sorry for the flipping back and forth here. Um, the Bible has a lot to say about money. Um, I think some websites say, like, it talks about money more than any other topic, and that's true. Uh, I think there's... Somewhere between like a thousand and two thousand references. I know it's a big number. Um, I actually haven't gone through and actually calculated it myself. Um, but somewhere between a thousand and two thousand references to money in the Bible. And uh, you know, uh, not everyone is going to be married. But in in life and in friendships and in roommate situations and in marriages, the the highest rate of problems in those type of relationships derive from financial situations. So you guys are about to be entering into that. We're in that together. Um, and you guys are all living with roommates. You're sharing expenses. You know, how do you split costs? Do you guys share groceries? Do you split the internet? How does that all work? Like, money creates tension. Um, just from a cash flow perspective, 70% of consumers live paycheck to paycheck, meaning they run out of money before the end of the month. So that's just what most people's situation is. Savings, uh, the average family unit Uses a, would have to use a credit card to pay for, let's say you're, you need a new set of tires and uh, something major in your car breaks down, you have a $1,500 bill. Um, that's a lot of money. Most people don't have that much savings saved up. And just thinking about retirement, uh, nearly half of all of Americans have less than $10,000 saved for their retirement. So in the grand scheme of things, uh, money's a pretty big deal. So that's why I want to teach about it today. And that's why I want to start with the foundation of the Bible. You know, how I think about money and, and budgeting and income, um, I think about living on about 80% of whatever you make. So when I think about that for college students, I don't think of your, your loan disbursements or your, your money that you get from having loans. I think of your income as any type of job that you work. So let's say you're an RA, you probably get a stipend. Or if you work on a, a campus job, then you might make like eight, nine, ten bucks an hour. Or maybe you work during the summers and you're, you're making money. That, that's your income. And I think of living on about 80% of that, saving about 10% of it, and then giving about 10% of it away. So if you're earning money, basically work on saving and tithing off of the money that you're, you're earning. 
Um, and there's these uh, seven seven levels of giving. So we're all at different um, spots in in the road. Some of us may may be not giving at all. Maybe we're doing it one or two times a year. Maybe we're occasionally giving. Maybe we're regular giving. Maybe you're giving more than five percent of your AGI or adjusted gross income. Uh, maybe you're tithing ten percent, or maybe you're the generous giver. It doesn't really matter where you're at on here. This isn't a where are you at? You know, raise your hand. This is more of a let's just think about it and let's let's ask each other and let's be honest about our finances. Paul Poteet and I, we kind of like open up our financial life to each other um, several times throughout the year, and you know, ask questions. Hey, what was that? Or tell me what you're doing there. And um, just kind of challenge each other to um, not be investing in the, the temporal things, but to be investing in the eternal things. And also, like, not to be uh, unwise, too. So um, for early on in marriage, we would bounce checks all the time. We would uh, we'd run out of money because we were spending more than we were making. And uh, it just created a lot of tension. And we started to, we met with a, a financial counselor, and we sat down and we're going to do a, an exercise that we're about to do. And it just was really helpful for us to not feel this financial pressure, pressure of, oh, should I be spending this money right now? And some people might think of budgeting as like constrictive or you know writing it with blood. But I think of budgeting more as like penciling things in and uh, kind of rolling with it and not necessarily thinking of budgeting as like this constraining thing, but actually as a freeing thing. So that when we're at the grocery store, I can open up my, my budgeting app um, and see, okay, we've got $100 left for groceries. So yes, 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 and no to that, or whatever it may be. And you can make you know, decisions like that. So some of us are spenders, and some of us are savers. And to uh, illustrate that, I have a fun little video clip for us to watch. <laughs> numbers to add up. Like we're never going to get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know billions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. <laughs> Confusing. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? <laughs> I'll tell you where and how in chapter three. Okay, well, what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. Well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. Should I buy it anyway? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little confusing at first. Well, what if you have the money? Can you buy something? Yes. Now take the money away. <laughs> story? Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff when you don't have the money. <laughs> I think I got it. I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? No. You make sure you have money, then you buy it. Oh, then you buy it. But shouldn't you buy it before? Were you have the money? No. Why not? It's in the book. It's only one page long. 
The advice is priceless and the book is free. Wow, I like the sound of that. Yeah, we can put it on our credit card. Write <laughs> <laughs> for your free copy of Don't Buy Stuff You Can't Afford. And if you order now, you'll also receive serious If you don't have the money, don't buy it. Or a subscription to Stop Okay, it's kind of funny. <laughs> so that's kind of getting into into credit cards, which we're not necessarily going to be talking about credit cards today. In general, I I think there's a wide range of thought on credit cards. Uh, in general, I would say um, for most people that are starting out, I think uh, credit cards are a tool to help you build credit, but they shouldn't be uh, a crutch for uh, buying things you don't have money for. So. If you have money in your account, in some ways there's not necessarily a difference between like writing a check, taking cash, using a debit card, or using a credit card. But the the hard part about credit cards is it's all credit based. So you have a, a certain amount of credit. You know, when you're first starting out, maybe you have a $500 credit limit, and it can be really easy to think, oh, well, I could spend this because I'm getting paid next Friday. And then you start kind of inching farther along down the road, and suddenly you've got three or four or five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, or hundreds of thousands of dollars on a credit card that you don't have money for. So that's, that's the danger of, of credit cards. Um, you know, you can make the argument that you could get points and things like that, and it, it, is, it is a helpful thing. So how I'd recommend using a credit card is um, open, up a, open up a credit card, and um, once you have money saved, like there's expenses every year. Let's just call it um, books for school, right? What, how much does it cost to buy books for school? A couple hundred dollars, 300 bucks-ish? So... Use your credit card two times a year. Save $300 first and put it aside. Use your credit card, buy the books, and then a couple days later, just pay it off. And what that will do is it will help build up credit so that when you do graduate and you want to get a car or buy a house or things like that, you have a, some credit established. But I wouldn't necessarily encourage people to use it as their, their main source of how they buy things. Um, we can talk more about that in the Q&A section. Um, Okay, so developing great habits. So we talked about budgeting. Um, I included uh, two different types of budgets. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll look at that first page in a second, the net worth calculator. But uh, this, this document here is, is a helpful document because you can, you can kind of project how much you think you're going to be spending. And then at the end of the month, you can actually put an actual amount down and then kind of see where, where you're at. And this is just categories to think through. You're not going to necessarily have a, a category. If you want something just really bare bones, here's just a really bare bones one. This is what we used for a while. It's, it's really helpful when you're just starting out. And uh, it just helps you kind of put in what you think you're going to spend and how much it actually came out to be. So I think before you uh, start spending money, having a plan to know how you're going to spend it is helpful. And I would say 90% of college students that I've talked to um, that have asked me about budgeting or questions about how to pay off loans or start thinking about that, most people don't even know like what they're worth or their, their net worth. And uh, that's not necessarily a, a defining question. Um, in society, you know, people like to brag. Uh, the, the GOP presidential candidate, Donald Trump, his whole campaign is, I'm worth this much money, you know, vote for me. Kind of crazy. But um, that's, what he's, that's what he's all about. That's what he worships. So... Putting down things you know that are positive money assets, you know your how much cash is in your wallet, your checking account, savings account. Um, maybe you have like an investing account your parents started. Do you own a car? 
Uh, do you have any other types of assets? Like, I have a pretty nice uh, saxophone, so that would be an asset. I'd put that down. And then investments, if you have any of those. So that would be the left-hand side. The right-hand side is liabilities, so that would be credit cards, student loans. And you, maybe some of you guys have two, three, four, five student loans. And um, did I make a mistake there? You guys are editing something? Okay. Um, so that's that. you can kind of list, list those there. Uh, but it's really interesting. Most students I talk to don't actually know how much student loans they, they actually have. I just think that's a really good question for you guys to, to have a grasp over. When you graduate, you know, if, if nothing changes, this is how much college debt you'll probably have when you graduate. I think the average now is like $32,000. Um, me and Katie, we graduated with around $40,000 of student loan debt. And what that meant for us was we lived in a really small apartment for three years and just lived, lived pretty uh, e easy and nothing, nothing crazy and extreme. And um, that was just how we chose to live um, for how we kind of started off. And maybe you guys will have to make some choices when you first start off because you have college debt that might change how you desire to live with the, you know, what you end up having. So how many people have a student loan or student loan debt? So most people in here. So you're not alone. Um, and um, what I'd like to do now is I'd like you guys to turn to the, uh, the third page there, just the, the simple <coughs> budgeting page. I want you guys to take uh, about five minutes right now. And if you had to make your best guess on looking back to the, the month of June, how did you guys spend your money? So just go ahead and guesstimate where, where you think you spent your money. I'm going to be giving you guys a link to all of these resources electronically. So if you want to use this template again later on, I'll give you a blank one that you can download and print off. Or a Google Doc version if you like those. So take five minutes and just write down where, where you think you're, you're spending your money. Okay, we'll bring it back together here. You guys can keep, you guys can keep working on it. Um, how, how finances work for uh, the Stromwells are Typically, once a week, we, uh, we kind of go through our Google Calendar. What's going on? What do we need to think for? Who's coming over? What do we need to pray for? And uh, that might take like 10 or 15 minutes. Maybe we need to... I, I like sending emails to people when I have like people coming over. Like They have my address. and just, That's just one, one aspect of our life. Then we look at our, our budget, and we use this tool called YNAB. You need a budget. It's actually free for college students. If you have a .edu email address, you can go on their website and download it for free. So it's just youneedabudget.com. There's a link to it on the bottom there. Um, if you're looking for a tool, I think it's one of the best tools out there. Uh, they have a really nice mobile app. So when I'm at Starbucks buying a drink, you know, we've got a certain amount of money each month for, for doing coffee, so I can type it in there and then it subtracts it and you can see, you know, where you're at, how much you have left. So it's, it's nice. Uh, it's nice to be a, a tool, but it's also not constrictive where, let's say one month I spend $5 over my coffee budget, that just means I need to spend $5 less in my grocery budget, right? So there's, there's some flexibility to it. Um, so this is a little video that we'll watch to, uh, to highlight this tool. Okay, you know the story. You need cash for the movies, so you check your account balance. You think through the bills that are due soon and match them up to Thursday's paycheck. Feels a little tight, but whatever, it'll be fine. But then a few curveballs catch you off guard. 
How could you have ever prepared for this? Now you're really starting to sweat. But what happens if you have a medical emergency or other crisis? Well, guess what? You need a budget. Yeah, you know that. Everyone knows that. Maybe you even tried it before. Freezing the credit cards, penny pinching, the envelope system, taking weeks to tag and categorize 12 months of transaction history. 10 points for being thorough, but did it change anything? An effective budget is about the present and the future, not the past. You need a budget, or YNAB for busy people, is an entirely new way to approach this very old problem. And it works. It all boils down to four rules that help you make simple changes today. First, give every incoming dollar a job, so you aren't tempted to spend them on something outside the plan. Rule number two, plan for those bigger, less frequent expenses. Splitting them into monthly chunks ensures the cash is there for that annual premium or unexpected wedding anniversary. When you overspend in a category, rule three keeps you flexible and on track, ensuring that you start the next month off right. And lastly, learn to live on last month's income. YNAB aims this month's cash at next month's expenses. So when bills roll in, you just pay them without last minute math or worry. And when you find out what that feels like, you'll understand why this is so revolutionary because it's not really about budgeting or money, it's about peace. Download YNAB for a free test drive today. I don't work for YNAB, I don't get any benefit um, for YNAB, so I'm not, I'm not trying to profit off of this. Um, I just think it's a really helpful tool. Um, we've used mint.com, maybe you guys have tried that before. Um, that's a good tool too. The thing I like about YNAB is it's a, uh, it has both the automated, you can like download all your registers, but it, it really does help you think for, um, if, you have, you know, if you have a car payment, typically you pay that yearly or biannually. So I think ours is like $75 a month um, or like $800 or something like that. So every month we just budget 75, 75, 75 so that in, at the end of that year, there's $800 and we just pay it. We're not having to worry about, I get paid on Friday, today's only Tuesday, so if I write a check, it might get there by the time I have the money. We don't even have to think about that because we've been saving the money. So I've played that game a lot. It's not fun. It, it creates stress. Maybe you guys maybe have something similar to that. Like, well, I can't, can't pay my rent until my loan payment comes in. So I can't buy groceries. So I'll borrow my roommate's groceries and I'll pay him back because in a few days I'll get my, you know. And, and that's okay to, to be in that for a season. And. I'd love to even talk to you about, in college, I don't think you have to necessarily live under stress. I think, you know, there are appropriate uses of taking out loans or taking out more debt. I think for a season where you're you know, intensely focused on school, I don't think it's a, it's a, a horrible or a bad thing. I also don't think it's a terrible idea to, you know, maybe go to school for a couple of years and take a season off to work. I don't think that should be out of, the, out of the picture either. So every, everyone's situation is a little bit different. So any, uh, any big picture questions on the, the fundamentals, the levels of giving, uh, or, just, or just budgeting in general? I, I kind of pulled a few people and got kind of the most common questions. So I'd love to start with those, and then if there's more, I'm thinking we're going to go for like the next 15 minutes. So don't feel like it's 8 o'clock, we've got to move on. We're going to go for another 15 minutes. But any big picture questions? Would you say that it's better to give regular, like regularly, as in like 10% of your income? Or is it okay to give when you feel like it, even if it is generous and you might be getting more than it were 
I, I don't think there's necessarily a, a right way or a wrong way. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people say, like, well, how much should I give? And people start off, well, 10%. That's the tithe. In the Old Testament, that was what you're expected to, to do. You were supposed to tithe 10% and give. We're not under old, old, the Old Covenant law anymore. We're under the New Covenant law. So in a lot of ways, some people say, well, 10, 10%, 10% is just the starting place. I would say if you're just starting off giving or you're, you know, have some a steady income now, start with 10% and gradually each year increase it. Try to go up a percent every year. It's, ask the Lord to to give you the resources to be able to do that and I think I think he's faithful to to do that. So um, how I think about it is 10% is what we like to give to the church and we we support a couple staff people and some uh, different things. So that's kind of above our 10%. That's that's how we think about it. Um, we weren't always there, um, but that's that's what we're doing now. Um, there's also different ways to give, like you can invest in stocks, for example, and you could uh, give out of your assets. So I think there's giving out of your 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 monthly income, and then there's giving out of your wealth. And I think at different points you could give out of both of those places. So wealth would be like um, maybe you have an investment account, or you uh, try to think of practical examples. Maybe you guys invest in some stocks, and let's say you buy it at 100 and it goes up to 200. You know, you can actually donate stock and not get taxed on the the money you make uh, for profit. So that's actually a really nice way to give. We started to do that a little bit. Um, so that's a. Does that answer your question? Um, There's not a yes or no answer. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> so I would say if at the end of the year, you know, giving generously, sporadically, versus you know having money come out of your checking out each month, if, if they're about the same, then I don't think it matters. Thanks. Or maybe at the end of the year, you look to see how that uh, generous giving looked, and you look at your income for the year, and if there's a there's a gap, maybe you make a really generous gift at the end of the year to help make up for it. Okay. So that's Thank okay, you. too. Thank I think from a perspective of, so I'm on the board of uh, the FPAs at Bethlehem, so I help like set the budget, and it's kind of like the board of the church. And... Uh, the way Bethlehem giving works is it's kind of like consistent and then usually November, December, it goes like this. So I think like 40% of the budget for the year comes in in the last two months of the year. And from a church perspective, what that does to church staff and to even ministry is it puts a strain on it because you're kind of waiting to see, is he going to do it again? Is the Lord going to bring in the, all the funds? The last eight years have shown that $4 million comes in in the last two months. So it, I think there is a benefit of kind of being a steady giver throughout the year, but I don't think you have to do that. So maybe that gives you a different perspective. Yeah. Cool. How do you um, think about the giving with all your income is given to you? Yeah. Like, how do you guys budget that out? Yeah, that's a great question. So the way I think about, like, being on staff or being fully supported through raising funds is the money that Katie and I raise or the staff people that you guys are connected to, that's... Uh, that's their wage for the, the job that God's entrusted to them. So I don't look at, because I raise funds or because there's 75 families that are giving monthly to me and Katie, I think about that as if I worked at Best Buy and I got a wage at Best Buy, that's what I got. Working for Camps RH, that's my wage, that's what I get. So staff raise money so that they can meet all of their expenses, their their housing um whatever their car payment, whatever it may be. They also raise money to, to save, and they also raise money to give, too. So I don't think it's like, well, why should staff people raise money to give when they're doing the work of the Lord? 
I don't think that there's like a, a sacred work and a secular work. I think it's this is the, the the work that God's entrusted to us. That's a shorthand version. We can have a longer version if you want to. Okay, so here are the, the top three questions that as I polled your leaders, this is what they wanted to know. How do you think about giving as a recent college graduate with debt? Many of you guys have that question. So not everyone graduates with debt, but probably most of you guys are going to graduate with debt. And how I think about it is tithe or give off of your income. So I don't think of like your loan disbursements that come into your account to be able to afford going to school and pay for things as income. I think of you know, delivering pizzas or your internship or whatever your job is. I think you should give off of that much that money. So give to the church, be generous, support things, take care of your expenses, and part of your expense should be your your loan payment. And there's you know different schools of thought on well, if I have twenty thousand dollars of of loans, would it be more wise to not not to give anything for a shorter season to be able to pay off the loans faster, so that when I pay off the loans faster, then I'll have all this extra money that. I, I was paying off my loan payments to be able to give to people. I think it's hard to um, to graduate, to have a, a regular steady income, to not give anything, and then going from not giving everything to pay off all your debt, and then to give a lot. So I think I think that's where the, the gradual, you don't necessarily have to go from level one to level seven, like in one one season of life. Like, But think about you know praying that God would develop in you so you would be a, a generous giver. And not a giver that, you know, is giving out of compulsion, but a cheerful giver. That's what we're called to. That's what Pastor Jason preached on in this, this last sermon series, is being a cheerful giver. I think give based on what you've been given, in a sense, even if you have debt. So we had $40,000 of debt. We gave to the church. We started supporting someone. And as we paid off the debt, we're able to support more things and more people and give more. And, um, you know, I think you just continually... Reevaluate where you're spending your money and um, ask the Lord to give you more so that you're able to give more. I think he's faithful in that. But don't ask him to give you more so that you can buy more stuff or to continually upgrade things and things and things. Okay, I got this question. How should I think about giving? Do I give 10%? Do I give to missionaries? Do I support people? Do I sponsor a child? And we've kind of talked about it a little bit, but in general... We're in the new covenant of giving, so I think we're, we're called to be generous givers. You know, even if you make $10,000 a year, you're 90% richer than most of the world. So if you make $10,000 a year, like in, in the American sense, that's not that much because when you graduate and get a, a real job, you know, you're probably at least making, I think the starting salary for a, a teacher, for example, uh, I think is like $35,000 maybe. We factor in all the benefits and everything. So um, we, we've been given so much. So I, I think we're called to think about uh, 10% as being a starting place. And that's just my personal conviction. It's, it's nowhere in the Bible that says, you know, new covenant giving, that means 10% is a starting place. And you should give a 1% more every year because that's what Nick told you to do. But um, I think that's just what the Lord's, as I've read the Word and read different different passages, that's, that's what he's in. That's what he's been teaching me, and that's how we think about it. Does that help you guys? Okay, the last question was a big one, um, kind of the flip side. So how, how as people that go to Bethlehem, where we have this wartime mentality, 
Um, and by wartime mentality, I mean, uh, you know, the Lord's coming back. Let's, let's not, you know, design a super fancy, awesome church, but let's have a, a good church and have, you know, a nice space to meet, but it doesn't have to be the most fancy. So how can we, uh, you know, utilize the resources we've been entrusted to? You know, on one side of the spectrum, it's like I only shop at thrift stores. I don't buy anything new. I only buy used things because why would I buy new things when I could buy used things that are just in good? And on the other hand of the spectrum, it's, you know, the worldly. Maybe they're not giving at all. They're just, you know, they're buying the most expensive everything, brands, whatever. And I think, you know, Christian hedonism, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. How do we, as Christians, buy things and enjoy them when there's hundreds of ways we could be giving or thousands of people in need? So how do we wrestle with that? I would recommend and commend you guys to check out this book by Joe Rigney. That's what he talks about. The things of the earth. Treasuring God by enjoying his gifts. Uh, so here's the, the little teaser. Ice cold lemonade, the laughter of children, college football, scrambled eggs and crispy bacon. But what happens to these earthly pleasures when Jesus shows up? Do the things of earth grow strangely dim, or does he shine in all that's fair? So I actually haven't read the book yet. Um, I, I did purchase it recently, but I think... Uh, I think we're, we're called to is we're, we're called to uh, worship the Creator, and He intended for good and for our enjoyment, and He gave us created things. So uh, I think we're called to enjoy those created things, but not make idols of the created things, and look to the Creator when we enjoy the created things. So uh, I don't buy Folgers coffee, and that's probably the least expensive amount of coffee. I buy a, a Starbucks roast at Costco. It's a, I think it's like 10 or 11 bucks for a nice bag. But man, I look forward to coming downstairs in the morning and uh, I have a coffee pot that you just put the beans in and set the timer in the morning. It grinds them and it's a nice, nice coffee pot. When you guys register, you should register for one like that. <laughs> and uh, I enjoy a nice cup of coffee in the morning. And I think as I you know read the word and do a workout, I can enjoy this, this creative thing, even though I could probably buy a, a bag twice as big of Folgers for like five or six bucks. And I chose to buy the, you know, whatever. And, you know, you could go on this side and only buy like Dunn Brothers, you know, Ethiopian, the most crazy roast you can think of. And uh, that's whatever. So I know some of you guys are into kombucha, and that's kind of like a, a more expensive drink. So you could look at that as... <laughs> I'm looking at Anne right now. <laughs> I know she likes kombucha. You can look at that as like, why, why would you want to you know, enjoy a $5 drink? Or why would you go out to uh, uh, get a drink with someone and spend you know, 5 or 6 or $10 on something? Well, I think it's okay to enjoy the creation and to, to not make you know, the more expensive version of coffee or the more expensive drink like what you have to have or an idol or necessarily a, a standard, but you can enjoy the things God has given because he's given them to you. And what do they point to? They point to his goodness. So honor the giver by enjoying the gifts and asking God um, to make the gifts not that you worship, but worship the creator who gave them to you. But it's just a hard thing to do, right? It'd be really easy for me to worship my MacBook Pro 15-inch retina because it's like the latest and greatest, Right? But it's a tool, and it helps me multitask, and I can have like 10 applications open at the same time and dominate. 
And I've got a standing desk at my office. And it's awesome. And I love it. And it's okay to enjoy those things because they give God glory, ultimately. But I'm not going to, like, worship those things. My computer could get stolen. It could crash or the hard drive could fail, right? My life's going to be okay. All right, those are the three kind of top questions. What other budgeting financial questions do you guys have? Yeah, what would you say about, like, should we give to, like, church that you attend or, like, should we give to, uh, like, world leaders or some sort of organization? Yeah. Um, Is there better, right or wrong? I don't think it's a right or wrong. I think it's a a conviction. I think you can make the, the case that the church is the local body, so kind of, like, support where you're being fed, so to speak. You can make that case. Uh, you can make the case while well, there's starving people and wells that need to be dug and um, you know, lots of different great ways to invest your money. So I tend to think about like my home is, is Bethlehem and I want to make sure Bethlehem can continue to exist because if Bethlehem didn't invite up David Mathis and Paul Poteet when I was a freshman in the Superblock, and they were walking around with the frisbee, and we went down to the um, the mall area and played frisbee. I would have never established a relationship with these guys, and ultimately started reading the Bible and heard about grace, and those things would have never have happened. So that's how I think about it. There's no right or wrong answer, though. Uh, Hebrews thirteen five. You guys can write that down. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And uh, Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, drippings of the honeycomb. So, the love of the Lord is better than money in a lot of ways. And I think, like, the exercise of budgeting or understanding how much debt you have or all of these things, it's not so that you can ultimately feel peace, like the the YNAB video. We're not ultimately after just peace. We're ultimately after the chief end of man is to to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So, if, if taking a little bit of time and making a budget, if that reduces stress, maybe that means you could have one more interaction with a neighbor or ask that uh, fellow coworker out to coffee. Or maybe that means giving up something so that you could treat a coworker to lunch and ask about their life and invest in people and invite them over and start this relationship and share Christ with them. Maybe that's what that means. Who knows? So budgeting in of itself is not simply just to make yourself feel better or to put you a, a sense of peace but it's ultimately, ultimately I think so that you can be a generous cheerful giver and that's what we're, that's what we want that's what God wants cool alright I'll pray for us then we can uh, break um, God you are uh, so good to us and you love us with um, such mercy and compassion and um God, I feel like uh, I feel like I can stand up here a big failure when it comes to budgeting and money, um, having been selfish and um, not been a good steward uh, of being full of fear. But yet you're you're gracious and kind, and 
you were kind to bring in friends and counselors to help help me think about being a good steward of the resources you've entrusted to us. And money is just one of those resources. Um, time and relationships and um, all the gifts that you've given us, you called us to steward all of those things. So I pray that this kind of talk wouldn't um, encourage us all to um, to want to uh, just just grow our, our assets, but I, I pray that um, a talk on money would ultimately give you glory in, in how we use these these resources of money to um, to bless others to um, to take to take something and cultivate it and 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 give you glory just in our work and I pray that because we do earn a wage we do we do earn money that we would be uh, faithful in in stewarding those resources and I pray even that there there are so many opportunities to give and I pray that we would be faithful stewards so that we would be able to be cheerful givers and and support and um, be behind a lot of a lot of the great causes um, that we can give our money to. So help us not fall in love with money. It's so easy um, to fall in love with money, the, the things of this earth. But um, just like my car is rusting through and uh, people can steal the things of this earth, but I pray we'd be like Terry who is investing in the in the life to come. He's not living for the dot, but he's living for the, the life to come. So Help us, help us do that, and we can't do that alone. Um, just like Rachel's question, we need the body. We need the body of Christ to, to run ideas by. And as we think about buying things, it's, it's a great idea to ask someone, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think about that? I, or I have these three opportunities to, to spend money or to give money. I'm, I'm struggling with what to do. Will you help me? And that the body of Christ, we can together, as we pray and seek, seek wisdom in your word, you give us answers. So thank you that there are... 800 or 1,000 places in the Bible that talk about money. And as we have questions, you've given us lots of the answers there. So help us as we go forward um, be cheerful givers and good stewards. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at cominneapolis.org.